Our reading for today is in 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. Please, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but, with, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. See if I can get myself arranged here. What a great morning already. Missionaries going over to Romania, young people achieving different milestones in their lives. God is good. Do you feel God is good? I need to thank some people this morning. I need to thank our youth leaders, Josh and Stacy and Mark and Joanne, all the others that have been helping our young people learn more about Jesus and learn to follow him. They are a great group of young men and women. Amen. And we are blessed to have leaders like our youth leaders. I also want to thank Art and Joanne for the work that they have done over the last number of months. If you don't know Art's passion, you certainly saw it this morning. And so I thank both of you. I thank both of you for giving us a ch as a church the, op the opportunity to see God at work. I agree with Art. God is working. God is working. God is working in Thornhill Baptist Church. God is working in His kingdom. God is alive. That was a bad amen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he is working in his kingdom. And we are blessed that he chooses to work through us. Amen? We are blessed that Jesus chooses to work through us. A few weeks ago, I began a series which I entitled, Finding Hope in a Seemingly Hopeless World. I love that word hope. I really do. What does hope mean to me? Hope having only positive experiences. Hope having only positive experiences. That's what God wants of us. He wants us to be a people of hope. I started the series in 1 Thessalonians because I believe 
And I've always been intrigued and encouraged when I read the book of 1 Thessalonians. I believe it is one of those books in the Bible that God has placed there by the Holy Spirit to show us exactly what an evangelistic church should be. What is it that may separate us from the religions of all kinds to be people of the way? That's what 1 Thessalonians is all about. And he began by setting four pillars which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Four pillars, four foundational pillars that he thanked God that he saw in this group of believers. The first pillar was grace and peace. You will never have inner peace until you experience God's grace. You will never have inner peace until you experience God's grace. The second pillar, faith and works. Good works are the product of a living faith. Good works are the product of a living faith. Thirdly, love and endurance. You can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. You get that? You can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. And the fourth pillar, hope and endurance. Hope is the power to hold on when you just want to quit. That's the way I felt this morning when I was trying to get out of bed. I just want to quit. But hope falls upon us. And those are the cornerstones of what Paul begins to, to, to put together as the theological understanding of what it means to be a church of the Pentecost, what it means to be a people of the way, what it means to be a, a church whose leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we want to go on into part two, which I called the gospel according to you. Where did I find that from? What am I thinking about when I say that? Well, let me read a poem that I read a number of years ago, which came back into my memory this week. There's a gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, Luke, and John too. There's another gospel many are reading, the gospel according to you. Many read not the words of the Bible. I will tell you what some of them do. They're reading the book you are writing, the gospel according to you. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful, faithfulness or true. Say what is the gospel according to you? What a marvelous poem. What a marvelous thought. You know, the gospel is a familiar word to us. We use it in so many different ways. We talk about gospel music. There's different kinds. There's black gospel music, southern gospel music, bluegrass gospel music, and yes, for old cowboys like me, country gospel music. And when we want to convince someone we aren't being mis mistruthful, we say, it's the gospel truth. The English word gospel comes from the Anglo-Saxon phrase, God's spell, or perhaps the word of God. 
In the New Testament, uh, I can't pronounce it, eugelizio, which gives us the English word evangelism. It means to proclaim the good news. Although we mostly use the word gospel as a noun, half of the times in the New Testament when the gospel is used, it's used as a verb. It's an action word. It's not a dormant word. The gospel is a word of action. And so I want to speak to us this morning. Our church and many other churches around the world are using the tool called the Gospel Project. Our Sunday school, our Hilltop kids have, have gone through that program as, as many other churches. And it's a story about Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, the Gospels. But the Gospel is found on every page of the Bible. The Gospel is the story of God's redemption for humanity. God is in the process of healing and saving humanity. I want to talk about the gospel this morning in, in four simple ways. First, I want to talk about its origin. Then I want to talk about its preaching. Then I want to talk about its power. And then I want to talk about its hope. First of all, the origin of the gospel. We find in our reading this morning that God said, Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That he has chosen you. Notice the two really key words. Love and chosen. Where did the gospel originate? Some people say, well, the, origin, the gospel is a man-made project. It was made by Old Testament prophets or New Testament uh, apostles. But that's not true. That's not the origin of the gospel. I was reading uh, this week about Caesarea Philippi. And for those of you who have been over on your tours, you may have been there. And there's a mountain not very far from Caesarea Philippi, and that is the root, that is the source of the Jordan River. It comes from there and it spreads out across the biblical land. Well, the gospel also has, a religion, has an origin. The origin of the gospel, where did it come from? If we travel back in time, and look for the source of the gospel, it would take you right into heaven. Right into God's heart. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adopt, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The gospel found its way right out of the heart of God. And it was in the heart of God before he said, let there be light. He had the gospel in mind. Many people ask me when I got saved. And I said, well, I got saved as a 35-year-old young father. But the better answer, as I realize now, is this. I was saved 
before the creation of all mankind. I was saved before the beginning of the world. God chose me to be his son. And he chose me before he created the heavens and the earth. There's a friendly debate that I recall when I was going through a seminary and Bible college and when students always get together at coffee and we have some of the most intriguing conversations going. I'm going to ask my wife if she could bring me uh, some water. It's intriguing conversations going. It leads me back when I think about those to the Protestant Reformation. Calvin hope that doesn't spill. Good. Calvin and Luther were (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I'm struggling in all kinds of ways this morning. Calvin and Luther were two Protestant Christians who reformed against the violent reaction of the Catholic movement in those days with the idea that there are good works that we can perform to lose salvation. There are good works that we can perform to gain salvation. They scream from the mountaintops, that is wrong, that is not right. There is only one way unto salvation, and that one way is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other way. And they shouted that from the mountaintops. But like so many things, humanity tends to get mixed up. I recall many, many days at Bible college talking about Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. Let me say I'm a Calvinist. Is that good or bad? I'm a Calvinist, but I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. You see, hyper-Calvinism, or hyper-lapsarianism, which is the theological term for it, is that God chose some to go to heaven, and God chose some to go to hell. There are many evangelical Christians today who believe that. And I want to tell you that does not come out of the heart of the Scriptures. God chose us. He predestined us, as we read to be his. But he did not choose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, as hyper-Calvinism would suggest. William Carey, the founder of modern-day missions, was speaking in London, England in the 19th century, and he was imploring churches to send missionaries to India. An old Calvinist Baptist preacher stood up and said, sit down, young man. When God decides to save the heathen, he'll do it without your or my help. That's hyper-Calvinism. If we believe that, then all those folks that stood up this morning stood up here for no good reason. Because why should we send them? Because we don't have to send them. Because God has already chosen. Well, they've misunderstood what God spoke about when he chose us before the foundation of the world. In his pre-knowledge, in his foreknowledge, 
He knew those of us who would accept Jesus and those of us who will not accept Jesus. That's the choosing. He didn't take away free will and say, if I've chose, you're going to heaven. If I, if I don't, you're going to hell. No. Let me, let me give you a good example of what predestination or pre-knowledge is. Alice and I often have our two little grandchildren over for weekend sleepovers. And imagine me setting the dinner table and I put on a plate an ice cream sandwich and a spoonful of broccoli. And I said, now choose whatever you want. I don't have to have much foreknowledge to know what those two girls would choose. It would be ice cream sandwich. You see, and that's what God laid before us, before the foundation of the world. That choice. Here's the dinner table. You choose. But I already know what you're going to choose. And so the origin of the gospel found its way in the center of God. But the preaching of the gospel, let me talk about that for a few minutes. The preaching of the gospel. Our reading this morning says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. If you study the, the life of the Apostle Paul, you'll realize that he spent about four weeks preaching in Thessalonica. Many Jews and, and, and Gentiles came to know Jesus after they heard, let me say that again, after they heard the gospel. When you look at the scripture, there are four spiritual forces at week at work when we begin to preach or share the gospel. First, there are the words of the gospel, there is the power of the gospel, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the gospel, and a deep sense of conviction. Jesus told his disciples after he went into heaven, I'm going to give you another one. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in them. The Holy Spirit is called in the New Testament a paraclete, which means someone who walks alongside. So when we are sharing the gospel, the very Spirit of God is walking with us. I share my story a little bit as many times I have, but I went to church for many months, even years. I even taught the Bible. But you know, I had never heard the gospel. I had never heard the gospel. But a pastor came to my home and he shared me the words of the gospel. And the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me at that moment. And I understood the gospel. You see, my friends, sometimes we think the gospel is that, have you ever heard that expression, go tell people the gospel and sometimes without words? You know, I get offended by that statement. It would be something like saying, feed the hungry, if necessary, use food. 
The gospel is a message that found its roots in the heavens before the foundation of the world, and he has chosen you and I out of love to be gospel sharers. Somebody who is willing to tell the gospel. Well, thirdly, what about the power of the gospel? Paul wrote, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You need to understand, when Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had the simple gospel of truth. That Jesus was God. That Jesus came in the flesh. That Jesus died for our sins. And that Jesus rose again, that we have, might have victory in him and eternal life. That's the gospel. They didn't have the Bible as we have it today. All they had was Paul and Silas and Timothy. There's a lot of news lately about the threats of North Korea and King and Kim Jong-un and how he's bragged that he can send a missile into many parts of North America. He has that kind of power, he says. The power to destroy. But the greatest force on the planet Earth for good is the power of the gospel. It's the greatest source on Earth to change humankind is the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, is, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. You want to know what God's power is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of truth. Romans 8.29, for those, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to become the likeness of His Son, that He might be firstborn among many believers. For God's foreknowledge, He, predest he also predestined us to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. I heard a few weeks ago my brother Zig share from this pulpit what it meant to abide in Jesus. What does abiding look like? And he said it looks like this, the fruit of the Spirit. Often we, we try to look like Jesus. I do too. I have long hair and now I have a staff. But what I really search for and what I long for in my heart is Jesus help me be the fruit of the Spirit. Because Jesus predestined for me to be that way. Before he said, let there be light, I want to impact Gary's life, Gary Hellard's life, with the fruit of the Spirit. Because that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And fourthly, the hope of the gospel. God gives us joy in the midst of suffering. Paul writes, in our passage today, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
Following Jesus does not make us immune from struggles. Following Jesus does not make us immune for difficulties. But following Jesus with all our heart, no matter where we are or what we're doing or what's going on, He gives us joy. I'm at the age in my life that I know this type of ministry for me is coming to an end. And you know something? It breaks my heart. Because this is the greatest joy I have. This is the greatest joy that I have. And that is to be with fellow believers who know the gospel and share the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of hope. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He goes on then to say, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is in heaven. My friends, Are we a gospel church? Are we a gospel church? Or are we just a church that believes in the gospel? There is a difference. You see, a gospel church is a group of men and women who follow Jesus, and in their following of him, they're prepared and willing to share the gospel wherever they might go. The gospel, when shared, comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. I recall one of the most puzzling phone calls I had when I was pastoring in Osler, Saskatchewan. Beautiful little community. Great food. Great people. And I was sitting in my home one afternoon, and the phone rang, and I picked it up, And this gentleman at the other end of the line didn't call me by name, didn't call me anything. He just said this, I hear that you can get me saved. Those were his exact words. And I thought, wow, that's a weird call. And I said, well, let's go meet for dinner and see what we can do about that. So we met at a community about 30 kilometers from Osler, Martinsville. We went into a public restaurant, and he, he, he came over. I didn't know what he looked like or who he was. He was a young man, about 35 years old. And I said, how can I help you? He said, well, I've been told by friends of mine who know you that you can show me how to get saved. Well, I shared the gospel with him. It took about 30 minutes. At the end of that 30 minutes, I said, would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior now? He said, yes, I would, right now. I said, fine, here's the coward I am. I said, well, we can go out into my car and we can pray. He said, why can't we pray right here, right now? And I said, well, my friend, If you're willing, I'm willing. 
And right in the middle of that restaurant, with my deep preacher's voice, he and I prayed that he would receive Jesus as his Savior. And that man became very active in our church until his business moved him somewhere. But what struck me was when we were praying in the restaurant, and he was praying to, for, to, for God to forgive his sins and invite Jesus into his life, and I said, Amen, the audience in the restaurant broke out clapping. And I said, why did you call me? He said, because friends of mine said, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, see Pastor Gary. And I said, did I look any different or did I look like what you thought? No. But you shared the gospel with me. You told me about Jesus. You didn't just try to live him in front of me. You see, there's a lot of good people in the world. There's a lot of good religious people in the world. There are many religions that probably demonstrate physical, emotional love better than evangelical Christians do. But the one thing that we have that they don't have, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ buried in our hearts, and we have the power and the wisdom and the strength to share that with those around us. And when we begin to share it, hope comes into their life. The power of the Holy Spirit comes into their life, and they receive eternal life, and they start walking forward in a new life. It's the gospel, folks. It's the gospel. I can love you as deeply as I can, but if I don't share Jesus with you, then I really don't love you. Paul was thankful for this church. He was thankful for that church because they were a gospel church. Are we? Are we? As we go into our new ministry year, we have set a foundation amongst our staff that the two pillars of our new ministry year are going to be first, we're going to become a deeper praying church. We're going to become a, a church of prayer, deep prayer. Secondly, we're going to be a gospel church. We're going to find ways we're going to teach ways for people to share the gospel because people need to hear it more today than ever before. Father, you are a great, great God. And we thank you, Lord, for your gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you give us the power by the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who walks alongside of us and gives us opportunity to share the gospel, for it is a gospel of salvation and it is a gospel of hope. Grant unto us this day, Father, as we close in song, a renewed sense in our spirit that before the foundation of the world, we became part of your gospel project. 
And so make us a faithful part, Jesus. In your name we pray.